Hi, you're listening to Sergeant Dorsey Speaks podcast produced by the Get Global Network. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Hi, and welcome to Sergeant Dorsey Speaks. Thank you for subscribing to my podcast and be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter, SGT, the abbreviation for Sergeant, SGT Cheryl Dorsey on Instagram and Twitter, as well as subscribe to my YouTube channel, SGT Dorsey Speaks, much like my podcast. I'm a retired 20-year veteran sergeant in the Los Angeles Police Department, and I'll be providing you with an insider's perspective on police policy, police culture, and police training. I'll pull the covers back, expose that thin blue line and decipher police cold talk when we hear it. I'll also be discussing incidents that are making national headlines and how you might get involved and engaged in your particular communities. Also, I'll be offering solutions on how best to survive police encounters because at the end of the day, the goal is for everyone to go home safe. For more about me and my career, visit my website, www.sgtsherldorsey.com for information about my advocacy work, as well as my 20-year career, which is chronicled in my autobiography, Black and Blue, The Creation of a Social Advocate. I talk about in great detail my 20-year career on the LAPD, where I worked in patrol my entire career under the command of police chiefs, Daryl Francis Gates, Willie Williams and Bernard Parks. I talk about real life encounters and adventures, if you will, during my 20 year career. I name names um, in some instances and in others, I use pseudonyms and aliases that I like to give folks. You'll be able to tell exactly who it is that I'm talking about based on the circumstances when I use an alias. And for those of you who'd like a sneak peek on my website, www.sgtsherldorsey.com, you can read the first chapter of volume two, Black and Blue, The Creation of a Social Advocate, as well as my next to be released book, volume three in the Black and Blue series, Black and Blue, Creation of a Whistleblower. Let's get to it. Over in North Carolina, the Sheriff's Department recently fired one of their deputies who's now facing charges after he and a couple of others tried to enter a black teen's home. So here's the story. In New Hanover County, Sheriff's Deputy J.T. Kidda has been charged with forcible trespass, breaking and entering, and willful failure to discharge duties related to his failure to uphold the responsibility of being a sworn officer. Now, what happened is this officer who's off duty, this deputy sheriff, J.T. Kidda, went to the home of this black family mistakenly looking for some female. Young man comes to the door. His name is Damien Shepard. And he tried to tell this jackass and his buddies that they were at the wrong house. He didn't know the name of the person that they were looking for. And this J.T. Kidda was having none of that. So he puts his foot in the threshold of the door and tries to force his way in, not allowing Damien to close the door. Well, the ruckus eventually woke up Damien's mother, Monica. So this JT Kidda says that, hey, look, I just want to step inside, close the door and talk to you guys. And Monica said, uh, no, you're not. (laughs) 
No, you're not. JT Kidder had his foot in the threshold and was forcing the door to stay open. And he repeated again, I'm going to step inside, close the door, and I'll talk to you. And Monica stood fast. No, you're not. Here's what's important to know, family. Police use this tactic all the time. And so I'm sharing uh, secrets again, something that no doubt makes them crazy. But when a police officer comes to your door, unless they have a search warrant, <laughs> you don't have to let them in. Unless they're in pursuit of some kind of fleeing felon, they cannot come in. And so a lot of times what the police will do is they'll come to the door and listen, you know, they're in uniform. Most people want to obey an authority's request. You think it's an order, a demand, and you must. And so when an officer says, hey, step outside, I want to talk to you. That's because they know they can't legally come inside your residence. So if they say, step outside, I want to talk to you. Once you step outside and you're outside of your home, now they are free to grab you and do whatever they want to do to you. A lot of times it's a ruse that officers will use because maybe they know that you have a, let's say a misdemeanor warrant for your arrest. And they know that before they get there, but they can't come in the house and arrest you. So they say, hey, step outside, I wanna talk to you. So note to self, never ever leave your household. Now that's not to say that they won't pull you out because that's exactly what happened over uh, with the officer who ultimately shot and killed Walter Scott, Michael Schlager. He had gone to the home of a guy by the name of, I think it's Mario Givens, before he shot and killed Walter Scott. He went to the home because there was an alleged domestic dispute going on, but it had nothing to do with Mario. Mario wouldn't step outside. And so Michael Schlager grabbed him, pulled him outside, because remember, once you're outside, now the officer can say whatever he wants. And Michael Schlager wound up beating Mario's ass, tasing him, and arresting him for their favorite, interfering. It was ultimately dismissed. Mario made a complaint. It was swept under the carpet and that's why Michael Schlager lived to offend again and more than just offend to actually murder Walter Scott. So just because you don't come outside doesn't mean that an errant officer who's drunk with power, who's abusing his authority won't pull you outside and still do you harm. But I promise you, if you step outside, you're free game. And so note to self, do not step outside and do not allow officers entry absent a search warrant. So Monica did not, the mother, back to the Damien Shepard story in North Carolina, Monica did not allow this deputy to come inside. And actually there was a complaint that was made. And so this vigilante group, much like the one, you know, a few days earlier with Ahmad Arbery, this vigilante group is now under some jeopardy. Deputy J.T. Kidda is now a former deputy. He has since been fired in addition to facing these criminal charges. And I believe one other person in his entourage was also charged. The other person involved in this forcible entry is named Austin Wood. And according to District Attorney Ben David and Pender County Sheriff Alan Cutler in a press conference, Austin Wood is being charged with, and I'm quoting, going armed to the terror of the community. That's a quote. So maybe that's a charge there in their county. I'm not familiar with that verbiage, 
but the other gentleman, Austin Wood, is being charged with going armed to the terror of the community, according to District Attorney Ben David. Now, let me go back and just revisit this whole Ahmad Arbery situation because I've talked about it much and there's still a lot being said with regards to Ahmad. And so I'm going to keep saying, as long as they keep saying things that are contrary to the position that they are trying to put forth about Ahmad. So let me just say this. Let me start off with this. There was no 459, which is a burglary. There were no elements of that penal code in the detention of Ahmad Arbery. So let's start with that. Also, number two, whatever Ahmad Arbery may have been allegedly involved in as a juvenile makes no never mind, has absolutely nothing to do with nothing. And so they are going to continue to try to dirty up this young man and besmirch his character as if to say somehow he deserved what he got. And we know that not to be true. The more they say it, the more I will call bullshit. It's very important that you do not forget that Greg McMichael, the father, is a retired police officer. After retiring from the police department, he then went to the district attorney's office to work as a investigator for the DA. And what happens is, is that the district attorneys don't investigate crimes that they ultimately go to court on or that they file charges for. They have their own investigators, just like the police department has detectives. And it's not uncommon for police officers, once they retire, to go over to the DA's office and get a job as a DA investigator. And that's what Greg McMichael did. It's also important to note and not forget that Greg McMichael worked as a DA investigator for the initial DA who dissuaded the police department from pursuing charges the night of the shooting of Ahmad. Greg McMichael, along with the son of the DA who was next assigned to the case, Barnhill, they were partners as investigators in the DA's office. McMichael and Barnhill's son, while they were investigators in the DA's office, handled the juvenile case involving Ahmad Arbery. So there's history. And while I can't prove how well Greg McMichael's memory is, I can't say to you without a doubt that he unequivocally knew who Ahmad Arbery is. It's difficult for me to believe that he didn't know who Ahmad Arbery was at the time of the incident because Greg McMichael, as he was an investigator for the DA's office, was involved in that case that ultimately wound up sustaining charges against Ahmad Arbery and placing him on probation for five years. So here's what I think. It's just what I think. I think Greg McMichael, because of that history, he knew Ahmad and had had beef with um, maybe Ahmad personally and, and black folks specifically and decided that five years of probation wasn't enough of a penalty for this Negro child. And so this was an opportunity. He's seen him run through the neighborhood before. It wasn't a secret that Ahmad used to go jogging through the neighborhood. 
Greg McMichael lives there. Ahmad runs through there. They have history on this day. I can't prove it. I'm just telling you what seems reasonable to me. On this day, Greg McMichael decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to make sure that this young man gets what I think he's got coming. Hey, Travis, get your shotgun, get your truck. I'll jump in the back and we're going to go get him. Oh, let me call William Roddy Bryan so he can record this because we may want to watch this over and over and over again. They're all friends. They're all complicit. William Roddy Bryan should also be charged as far as I'm concerned. Because listen, if you look like me and if I asked you to take me to the store and I ran in there and stole some stuff and came out and jumped in your car and said, okay, I'm done, drive off. And the police get notified and pull us over two blocks away. Guess what? You're a co-conspirator. You're the getaway driver. You had to know that I went in there and stole a bottle of nail polish and put it in my purse before I walked out, right? You had to know. And nobody's going to believe that you didn't. You're going to have to go to court and explain it to a jury and let them figure out whether or not you were an innocent bystander, just a witness like William Roddy Bryan wants us to believe. He was just a witness. He was just a bystander. How could he even know to start recording way before the incident even transpired, but for he knew this was going to happen. And so listen, as much as William Roddy Brian tries to say that he was just a witness, I'm going to continue to say he's full of shit. And as much as they try to dirty up this young man, I'm going to continue to say that Greg McMichael as a tenured veteran police officer, understanding elements of a crime, what it takes to substantiate a prima facie case knows the difference. He knows better. He can't unknow his training, much like Amber Geiger, who was off duty and was held accountable because she's trained a certain way and should know certain things and, and acted in a way that was contrary to her training. We know this to be true. This is what was alleged in the shooting death of Botham John. Same thing is true with Greg McMichael. He's a police officer. He knows better. He knew better. And he enlisted the aid of his son and a videographer to record and memorialize this incident because he was going to go confront this kid. He knew him. He dealt with him years ago when he was a teenager. He tried to get him into the system and get something on him that would stick for a lot longer than obviously the five years of probation. And so this was an opportunity for Greg McMichael and Jr., Travis McMichael, to engage this young man. We know that he was not involved in a burglary because now we know that the police department has debunked that whole theory. There were no burglaries reported in that area. The owners of that home that was under construction have released the video to the police. By the way, the director of GBI, Vic Reynolds, already said he knew that video existed before he charged Greg McMichael and his son, Travis McMichael, with murder and aggravated assault. The director of GBI had all of this information. We as a public are just now finding out, which is not uncommon. Police don't often tip their hand and let the public know what they're doing as they continue to investigate behind the scene. And so now we're seeing it and now they're trying to act as if this is Ahmad in the video. Seen inside this structure, somehow that means something. And I'm here to tell you as a law enforcement professional, as a supervisor, as someone who understands prima facie elements of a crime, his mere presence inside that building means nothing. In order for you to establish a burglary, you have got to have intent. 
So having understood now that there is this symbiotic relationship between the district attorney's office and the police department in so much as the DA put pressure on the police department to not file charges on the night of the shooting back in February and the police department acquiesced that foolishness, understand this, uh, the Georgia district attorney is an elected official and so that's why it's so important that we vote. And now that we have the director of GBI involved, it's reported that the Georgia State Attorney General is now asking for the Department of Justice to investigate the killing of Ahmad Arbery. So when you hear Department of Justice being asked to investigate, you know what that means, William Barr, right? William Barr, ultimately. And so I don't believe that there will be any justice, I don't believe there will be any investigation authorized by the Department of Justice. And so again, Voting has consequences, not voting has consequences. And that's why it's imperative that everybody, everybody, everybody votes to change up this administration in November so that we can get someone in office, the high office, to replace the current United States Attorney General, William Parr. If William Barr gets another four years, I promise you, the family of Ahmad Arbery, much like the family of Eric Garner, who did not get an investigation regarding the unlawful use of a prohibited chokehold by NYPD officer Pantaleo, we're not gonna get any justice from this Justice Department under the command of William Barr. So voting is imperative and we, we have to be vigilant. The two men involved in the actual shooting, Greg McMichael and his son, Travis McMichael, have been charged with murder and aggravated assault and are awaiting a bond hearing. Right now they have no bond, that could change and you know people should not lose their mind if they get bond because that's their right. If they can meet the financial requirement once it's set, then they have a right to get out. So they will be dealt with. More importantly, I think we need to keep our eye on the prize and make sure that William Roddy Bryan is also charged. Through his attorney, he is expressing dismay and complete and utter confusion as to why the family of Ahmad would even want him charged because he thinks him turning over his cell phone with the recording and sitting down with the police and answering all of their questions without the presence of an attorney somehow gets him brownie points. And it does none of that. It does none of that. If he wanted to get a brownie point, <laughs> he probably should have called the police and told them that these jackasses were in their truck and headed to go get this young man. He didn't do that. He went there and participated in this foolishness by recording it for them. And so now he's getting threats. He's in fear. He's been on TV. And I'm glad that he's going on TV because now we get several good looks at him. And so, you know, he should probably be careful. He would probably do better just to shut up. Might even do better if he were arrested in jail and under the watchful eye of the police department over there, like the McMichaels, it might be better for him instead of him running around telling everybody what a victim he is. Because after all, he lost a job. Ahmad Arbery's parents lost a child. I've got nothing for William Roddy Bryan. This is kind of a side note regarding the district attorney who was involved in the killing of Ahmad Arbery and the assertion that there were no grounds for arrest. This particular district attorney has a history. And so I want to talk a little bit about that history. And I'm talking about DA Barnhill. Remember, Barnhill's son was the partner investigator with Greg McMichael 
back when Ahmad was a juvenile. But DA Barnhill has a history. Barnhill has been a prosecutor for the last 36 years. So you can imagine there's all kinds of shenanigans and skeletons in his closet. In 2017, Barnhill unsuccessfully pursued a black woman by the name of Olivia Pearson on charges of felony voter fraud. Pearson, who was 58 years old at the time and a black activist and a city commissioner over in the South Georgia town of Douglas, had assisted another first time black voter who was unfamiliar with the process and just was trying to explain to this person how to use the voting machine because this person didn't know, first time voter. This happened back in 2012. And Barnhill for five years pursued this woman doggedly trying to get her for felony voter fraud. Ms. Pearson was ultimately charged, went to trial, and there was a hung jury. Her first trial on this occurred in April of 2017, and it was a hung jury because there was a young black person, 29 years old, a female, who was on that jury, and she refused to buy into the fact that Pearson somehow was guilty of felony voter fraud. And again, family, why it's so important to respond to subpoenas when you are um, requested to be a juror. Had this young woman whose name is Linicea Armour not been on that jury, 58-year-old Olivia Pearson would have been charged and could have gone to prison for um, 15 years had she been found guilty. But she wasn't. It was a hung jury mistrial. And so Barnhill, D.A. Barnhill, was not going to be deterred. He had a second trial. And in this second jury trial, this time around, Pearson was acquitted of all charges. It took the jury about 30 minutes to find her not guilty on all charges. So that just goes to show you, maybe help explain, help you understand why Barnhill was so personally invested in the Ahmad Arbery shooters not being charged. Because remember, Barnhill wrote a letter to the police captain after he allegedly recused himself. He just wasn't going to be done because listen, when you recuse yourself, that means I'm out of here. I don't have nothing to do with this because there's a conflict of interest. Well, he recused himself, but then he also wrote a letter to the police explaining why he thought Greg McMichael and Travis McMichael should not be charged because in his words, they were quote, in hot pursuit, police lingo of a burglary suspect. And they had quote, firsthand knowledge, all of which was a lie. But this is the same guy, DA Barnhill, who was trying to put Olivia Pearson in prison for a potential sentence of 15 years because why she explained to a first time voter how to use a voting machine. There's history in all of that. And I participated in a discussion over the weekend with some folks who are on the ground there in Georgia. And they were saying particularly Glenn County is a cesspool. So those of you who live there know what I'm talking about. There is no law regarding hate crimes in Georgia. And there are some activists that are working to get that kind of legislation passed. They had something that they had adopted very recently, but it includes something that was a little too far reaching. And so now they are trying to amend, rework, change the wording of the law and get a hate crime 
put on the books there in Georgia. So if you live in Georgia family and you know that this is going on, it's imperative and incumbent upon you to get involved and get engaged. Louisville Metro Police Department conducted an investigation and found no wrongdoing of officers who were accused of racially biased policing during a traffic stop. According to police chief, Steve Conrad, he exonerated the officers who back in 2018 stopped a man allegedly on the West end for failing to use a turn signal. <laughs> and this prompted a federal lawsuit. So here we go. The federal lawsuit against the department alleged racially biased policing and other civil rights violation. Again, William Barr civil rights violations ultimately are under his purview. Didn't even make it that far because the police chief said the officers did nothing wrong. Former ninth mobile division detective, Kevin Crawford, who had been reassigned while the investigation was going on, committed no policy violations, according to the police chief during this controversial stop. And it involved a gentleman by the name of Tyrone Doherty and his mentally disabled passenger. Crawford resigned from the police department, given that gift of resignation and has now been hired by the Jeffersonville police department over in Southern Indiana. So don't know why he jumped ship and resigned. If the police chief said he did nothing wrong, maybe he just didn't want to stick around while that internal investigation was going on. He pulled the plug and resigned and now is working over at Jeffersonville police department. So for anybody who's over in Southern Indiana, lives in the jurisdiction of Jeffersonville police department. Just know that Kevin Crawford is out there and whatever it was that he did over with the Louisville Metro police department, he'll do again. They've done nothing to deter that bad behavior. And, um, this guy was involved in three civil rights lawsuits involving traffic stops. So he lives to offend again. Since Kevin Crawford's resignation, the police department has enacted new policies with regards to traffic stops, and they have raised the threshold for when a driver can be pulled over. This was not in effect at the time that Crawford pulled Doherty over. And so this new policy speaks to when officers can pull someone over, when they can handcuff someone, remove them from the vehicle, and how many officers can be on scene during a traffic stop but none of that stuff was in effect back when Kevin Crawford pulled Dartery over, which was on September 18th, 2018. So clearly they saw a need to change policy and they did, but Kevin Crawford lives to offend on the Jeffersonville police department. Be careful. Over in Denver, there's a young man by the name of, oof, I'm not even sure how to pronounce his name. I'm going to spell it for you. L-E-C-H-E-M-I-N-A-N-T. Lechminian? Anyway, he's 42 years old. He was involved in an incident, a use of force incident, and received significant injuries. This happened back on New Year's Eve. In the midst of this use of force, and there's some pretty graphic pictures from the Denver Police Department that shows this young man received a broken nose, a concussion, punctured eardrum, and four broken ribs. Why? Well, because officers allege that he ran from them. There was a pursuit. And in this 
pursued an ultimate use of force, one of the officers can be heard telling this gentleman that this is what happens when you run from the police. It was reported that when the officers stopped him, they asked him had he been drinking. <laughs> and I think he said, uh, no, but I'm about to. And then he took off. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't stop and have further conversation with the officers. And so, you know, that whole thing that I talk about contempt of cop, right? You piss me off. There's a price to pay. Not me personally. I'm just saying officers pejoratively, right? Some of them, you piss a police officer off. There's a price to pay. And so it sounds like, you know, maybe I'm just thinking he might've already had a beverage or two because he was being kind of smart aleck. It's New Year's Eve. Officers pull him over on a traffic stop and say, hey, what have you been drinking? And he goes, nothing yet, but I'm about to uh, get my drink on. And then he just takes off. He takes off, he goes home and they, they eventually catch up with him on foot. And then that's when the ass whipping ensued. They catch up with him on foot, uh, contempt of cop, they put in work and they wound up really significantly injuring him. And so now there's a, a, a lawsuit. The lawsuit is against four members of the Denver Police Department, a detective, Mark Duran, Sergeant Troy Sandoval, Corporal Daniel Felkins, and Officer Robert Blanc. While police officers arrested Mr. Lynchman for assaulting them, right? Cause you know, I always say once officers put hands on you, they can't let you go. So. They caught up with him in the backyard, put hands on him, and uh, then they arrested him for assaulting them. Well, charges have been dismissed. And most times, listen, most times the officers know that the charges are going to be dismissed. It's, it's what we call a DA reject, but they got to they gotta take you to jail for something. And listen, once, once they break your nose, ooh -wee, when you look at these pictures, it's bad. Once they break your nose, give you a concussion, puncture your eardrum and fracture four ribs. They got to take you to jail. And they did. And they charged him. They had to. DA reject. Officers are facing now a civil lawsuit. And so note to self, family, comply, complain, survive the encounter. And by survive it, I don't just mean live. I mean, be able to walk away get a good attorney, get in their pocketbook. That's it for now. Until next time, be good, be safe. This is America. Don't get you slipping now. Catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. You have been listening to the Sergeant Dorsey Speaks podcast, produced by the Get Global Network. Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey is a television commentator, social justice advocate, and is also well known for her book, Black and Blue Creation of a Social Advocate an autobiography of her 20-year career as a black woman on the Los Angeles Police Department. The book details what she learned as an LAPD insider. Sergeant Dorsey can be contacted through her website, sgtdorseyspeaks.com, or via any of her social media sites like YouTube and Facebook. 
take the time to subscribe to her YouTube channel and also subscribe to this podcast via major podcast networks like iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and many others. The podcast is also available on wireless speaker systems like Alexa and Sonos. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.